Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week it is Youth Sunday, and we are celebrating our middle and high school ministries. To lead us in today's teaching, we have joining us our middle school and high school pastors, the Reverends Robbie Grunwald and Doug Rary. Here is their message on why the church needs youth ministry and why youth ministry needs the church. Thank you for listening. Hey, I really like that video. It almost sounds scripted, or that we paid the kids to say that. But I gotta tell you that neither of those things are true. Actually, this was a homegrown video that one of our high schoolers put together, filmed, edit, edited, and now he's sharing it with us now. I got, I'm kind of blown away by what our teens are able to do. In fact, we have teens in the tech booth. We had teens over in the sanctuary leading worship. We had ushers everywhere. So it, I'm just so proud of our kids. And not only that they're just involved in leading us this morning, but the maturity that we've seen, that how they've grown over the past year. When we step back, Doug and I, looking over this past year, it's just simply amazing. And it's amazing because of our teens, but it's also amazing because of God. I got to tell you, we had over 270 different students walk through our doors this year in our middle school and high school ministry, 270. We had 107 made decisions for Christ. Amen, right? 107. I saw, I saw maybe 30 middle school students this two weeks ago at our middle school summer camp make recommitments to Christ. We had 40 or so at a Silver Ring thing event make purity decisions. I mean, God has done awesome things, and we are just simply blown, blown away. I mean, God has been so good to the middle school and high school ministry. But there's also a part of us that says there's more. There's more. There are more students in our neighborhoods. There are more students in our schools that need Jesus more than ever before. There's more. And for us to reach more, I'm telling you right now, the youth ministry needs the church. We need your help, your support for us to reach more. Yes, mom and dad, yes, aunt and uncle, yes, college student, we need your help. If we're going to reach more, we're going to need us, the church, to rise to this occasion, to rise up. i got to tell you, the culture and the world we live in has continued to be broken. I mean, we know this, right? We live in this world, we realize it is a broken world. We still have kids that come to our youth programs that come from broken families. I mean, the 50% statistic about divorce is still relevant today. Many of our kids will come into our programs with a mess at home. Broken hearts, broken mess, and all that junk that come into our programs because of what's taking place at home. No doubt. Not only do we have broken, broken families, we live in this broken culture. I mean, that continues to be the same, but some things have changed. Even since I was in middle school or a teenager, things have changed. And one of the things that we're seeing that's causing a lot of damage and problems is the new drug of choice. The smartphone and social media. Those two things tied together is like a drug of choice. And if we're honest as adults, it's pretty addictive, right? If we're honest, it's pretty addictive. And it's, and it's causing some damage. And let me explain why. See, for me, when I was growing up, there was a big divide between what took place at school or social events or football, the drama, the relationships, the stresses, anxieties that took place at school. Once you came home, that didn't exist. There was, home was a place of rest, and of peace. You step off that school bus, you get out of mom's car, you had some separation there. You actually had time where mom and dad could give you some advice. You could think things over. You could talk about what was going on. No longer is that the case. With the advent of the smartphone, those stresses that happen at school, the bullying and anxieties and all that takes place, is now 24-7 with a teenager. And it's, the consequences are continuing to be shown. And I'm not the only one saying this. In fact, there's a book just recently 
published where this author is talking about this. She's a psychologist from San Diego. She's brilliant, smart. This is what she has to say. Studies have shown kids are hanging out less, are waiting longer to drive, are more often clinically depressed, they're stressed, and less likely to cope as adults due to smartphones and social media. She even quotes this. She says, the, rate of teen, the rates of teen depression and suicide have, have skyrocketed since 2011. It's not an exaggeration to describe this generation as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Most of the deterioration can be traced to their phones. And as working with teenagers, we're beginning to see this. More kids are seeing psychologists. More kids are stressed out. It's a common phenomenon that we're going to continue to see the damage, I think, as generation after generation this continues to happen. In fact, sixth graders are going to be the first generation to grow up their whole lives with an iPhone. The first generation that's ever always had an iPhone available. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So that's our broken culture. We also have a lot of broken kids and how they think. There's a lot of craziness in the thoughts and so forth, but this one kind of blows me away. Barna released these statistics on how teenagers view or rate sin, all right? The first one through four, they got pretty right. Adultery, murder, these things are really bad, and then here's where it kind of goes astray. The fifth worst sin a teenager thinks is not recycling. Six is thinking negatively about someone with a different point of view. Seven was overeating. Eight, consuming too much water or electricity. Uh, nine was wanting something that doesn't belong to, belongs to somebody else. And the last one was viewing porn. So put that bluntly, teenagers view recycling and overwatering your yard worse than, than looking at porn. It's pretty crazy, right? That's the viewpoint. That's what our teenagers think. Maybe not all the teenagers here in our church or in our community, but that's what the mass thinks. This is the culture. This is the world our kids are growing up in. And this is the mindset of our teenagers. I tell you that not to make dishearten you or upset you or get you angry, but to say this. This is our opportunity. For such a time as this, this is the church's opportunity and chance to share and show Jesus to a broken and hurting world. This is our chance, our opportunity. And see, the youth ministry needs the church to do this. Listen, live up to its calling. That we, the church, would live up to the calling to be Jesus. That we would smell like Jesus, we would talk like Jesus, that our lives would demonstrate Jesus. That's how we, the youth ministry, needs you, the church, to do. See, I love Paul gets this idea. And he, and he tells Timothy in our scripture passage this. He says, you, however, know all my teaching. You know my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance persecutions and sufferings, what kind of things happened to me. He's simply saying, you've seen me in the good times and the bad times, and my faith is backed up by my life. Goes on to 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Paul is telling Timothy, like, you've seen my life. And what I have to say is validated by how I lived my life. That my faith and my preaching and my teaching and my life all are equal. That I've backed it up. And I think it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for you. 
This is a challenge for you, mom and dad. Are you living up to our calling? My wife and I are expecting our second, and we're really excited. She's 12 weeks, 13 weeks pregnant. And moms, maybe you can testify to this, that she gets this special superpower now that she's 13 weeks pregnant. It's an amazing sniffer. Superpower, too. I mean, we could be a quarter mile down the street and she could smell our garbage. Or she'd be upstairs in the shower and I'm cooking and she'll know what's for dinner. I mean, she has a sniffer. And it is, it is amazing. She can smell some stuff, right? And I say that to say that teenagers have that same power. Their ability to sniff out what is true or fake or false in our lives is overwhelming. And if you've ever raised kids, they, they can call you out on your stuff. And I'm here to tell you our teens can smell when we've gone astray. They're smelling. And they're, they're looking and they're watching. Your kids are watching. I want to teach you this principle I think is pretty cool, and I've learned this in college. It's this. More is caught than what is taught. That our youth culture, more is caught than what is taught. Teenagers, more is caught than what is taught. And here's what I mean is that more is learned about church on the drive here than maybe that what takes place in the service this morning. That more can be learned about God during the week and on the weekend than on a Sunday. That more can be learned about love and how we treat our wives and how we treat our husbands than maybe that love chapter itself. The lesson that more is caught than what is taught. The lesson, if we don't live up to our proclamation, maybe the message can't ever be heard. Not that we shouldn't ever stop proclaiming, and God can use a mess, and he always does. But I hope we get what I'm trying to say here. That maybe our kids are deaf to spiritual things because they haven't been able to really hear what we have to say. Think of it this way. Imagine a teenager walks through those double doors right there. And he comes walking into the service, right in the middle of the service, and he's wearing some headphones, the oversized ones that are like massively enormous, you know what I'm talking about. And so he comes walking in, in the middle of the service, and imagine what everybody would be thinking. I know what I would be thinking, like, who is this kid, right? What does he think he's doing walking in the middle of a church service wearing these headphones, not paying any attention to what we have to say? You can imagine those thoughts, right? Maybe we'd be angry, upset, or whatnot. Understandably. But what if that's happening all the time? The teenagers aren't able to hear what we have to say because they've seen and witnessed something other. That they're deaf to the gospel because of our lives. I hope that's not the case. And I want to tell you this, mom and dad. Despite what culture says, parents are still the greatest influence in teenagers' lives. You still are. Statistics continue to show it is the greatest influence. Even whether your, mom, your kids want to admit that or whether they want you in their lives or not, you still have the greatest influence in a teenager's life. So we must seize this opportunity. So church, may we live up to the calling. And secondly, I'm here this morning to ask for an investment. Some of you are thinking, just like a teenager, asking for, just like the youth pastor, asking for some more money, right? No, I'm not talking about money because we know money doesn't fix things, Right? You throw money at relationships, it doesn't help. It doesn't fix the heart. More money, more problems. And Troy's B.I.G. hope us at this point. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is we need an investment of your time. An investment of your time. That is the greatest resource, like Doug made mention earlier. It's the greatest resource we have because we can't get more. And I'm telling you, our teenagers, our young people need your time. 
I know we're so busy and there's so many things to be done. But can we say no to some things, some good things, so that we can say yes to something great? That investing in your teen years are the most important years. And sometimes we feel as youth pastors that parents step back in the middle school and high school years. I'm saying the opposite. Step in. That this is the time. This is the prime time. This is where your kids need you the most. It's an opportune time. And we as the church should take advantage of it. I'm not the only one saying this. Kristen Ivey, a long-term expert in child development, she spoke at this conference I was at. And here's what she said. There are three critical phases in a person's life when it comes to faith development. The first one I was pretty shocked by because I never heard that before. The first phase was ages two to four. She said the first touch ministries are so crucial and critical that we're finding that ages two to four, how they have experience at church will shape the rest of their lives, how they view God and how they view the church. She then goes on to say second, which I believe, middle school ministry. That's why I'm in it, right? And high school is third. This is the right time to make the investment. And we can also back that up by saying simply, I'm asking you, when did you come to know Christ? I know for me, it was in middle school and in high school. And I bet you many of us here would raise our hands and say, that was when I heard about Christ. That's when I made a decision for him and decided to follow him. It was in middle school and high school times. I'm telling you, the fruit, the time is now. It's the right time to invest. Right time to invest. I want to close by sharing this. My daughter, she's two years old, and she continues to teach me so much. So much. And uh, it's actually amazing. She's like a sponge that, like, anytime I say something, she's more than likely going to say the same thing, right? And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. Of course, in my household, it's always me the bad, right? Of course. But what's cool is this past weekend, we brought her in here to the 11 o'clock service and we had her with her in worship. And um, and it was funny. We were letting her just stand there in the worship service and she started clapping and she started singing. She started raising her hands even. Uh, she was even jumping around. Thank you, Brad, for showing her that. Uh, but that's how she responded in the worship service. And so I was thinking about this week, like, did we really sit down with her and say, Hannah, when we go to church service, you need to sing, you need to raise your hand, we need you to, uh, to worship? No, we never had that conversation with her. Well, how'd you get it? Because she caught it. I didn't have to teach her, she caught it. And I want to say our kids, our teenagers, they're always watching. They're always watching how we behave church online or offline. They're always watching what we're doing in secret or not so secret. They're always watching all the time. And they're catching a whole lot more than we want to admit, maybe. Hopefully they're catching the good things. And that's why I'm calling us to rise up to be more like Jesus, because they're always watching and they're sniffing too. (laughs) Sniffing and watching. Here's our opportunity. Here's our chance. Here's your chance to invest in the right time with the right opportunity in the next generation is going to be worth it. We're going to take a moment here and a second to watch a video of how our teens are living out their faith in the public school. Take a look. You know, as Robbie and I have been talking a lot this summer about Youth Sunday and uh, especially these past couple of weeks and getting real excited about it, I mean, we just couldn't help but to say how much that we love what we do, that we get to work with teenagers. I love that I get to do this. I love that I work at a church that allows me to do this. I love working with teenagers. But it always amazes me that whenever 
maybe I'm walking in my neighborhood and I meet somebody new, or, or maybe I'm out in town and I meet somebody new, and we get to know each other a little bit, and they ask me what it is that I do, and I explain what it is I do for a living. They, they often say to me, how can you work with teenagers? How can you do that? And I often reply, how can you work with adults? Right? I mean, can we just admit it that we could be just as selfish, right? We could be, uh, fall short just as much as a teenager can, right? We all fall short. We all sin. And sometimes teens get a bad rap. Now, sometimes they might deserve it. But I think if we're honest, we could admit that our culture, most of the time, looks down on teenagers. Our culture looks down on teens. But you know, this isn't anything new. Okay, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote a letter to a teenage leader of the church, Timothy. And he wrote to him and gave him, him some advice. Because Timothy, at least to us in youth ministry, is like the poster child to the teenage Christian. Okay, Timothy was trained by Paul. And Timothy was trusted by Paul. And Timothy even helped Paul author six of the New Testament letters or books of the Bible. And when Paul was in prison awaiting death, Paul placed Timothy in charge of the Mediterranean churches that he had started. And Timothy went on to become the lead pastor of the church of Ephesus. But Paul was always giving Timothy advice. Listen to some of the advice that Paul gives Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul gives the secret to teenage Timothy. If you don't want anyone looking down on you because you are young, Be an example. Be an example to the believers. Be an example to the church. Be an example in the way that you speak, the way that you live, the way that you love one another. Gang, I'm so proud of so many of the teens in our middle school and high school ministry because they are an example. They are an example to me. They're an example to you. They're an example to the church. I was amazed even this morning when our, our, our youth band is split in two this morning. Half of them worshiping here, leading worship here, half of them leading worship in the sanctuary. And I caught the youth band from Wilson Hall when they had an opportunity to take a break, go and support the youth band over in the sanctuary. And right now I'm catching the youth band from the sanctuary coming and supporting the youth band from the Wilson Hall. They, they are an example in the way that they love one another. But they're also an example in the way that they want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world around them. You know, we saw this, this video of just one of our after-school clubs at, at Montour High School. And, and uh, we know that God is doing something pretty big and amazing because when we started that club, we had just two students. And then those two students quickly turned into 15, and then 20, and then 40. And then this past May, as, as school ended for the school year, there were 70-plus students attending this after-school club. Amen. And we know, gang, I'm honest with you. Like, all I do is just show up. <laughs> like, I just show up and give maybe little coaching tips, right? But these teens are the ones that are doing it. They planned that outreach that you heard from that cheerleader. They planned 
that outreach to be able to, hey, let's just love the teenagers today and give them some donuts. And that one teenager said, why are you doing this? Next thing you know, she's part of the club. Soon after, the school administration started coming to the club. We had the assistant principal coming to the club after school every day, staying on his own time to be a part of the club. We know that the club is affecting the cafeteria workers and the security guards and the teachers and even the principal himself. There was a time where I had to uh, like pass a lot of screenings in order to walk into that school. Now I walk in there like I own the place because the principal and I have gotten to have such a good relationship, not because of anything I've done, but because of what these teenagers are doing. They're an example. They're bringing students to Christ. That's the most important thing. A first-time relationship with Jesus. And then they're getting them plugged into a church, usually ours. And then those students who are getting plugged into our church start bringing their families to our church. And I know that there are families in this church here this morning because of the obedience of these teenagers in these public schools saying that they want to reach their schools for Jesus Christ. I'm proud of other students, too. You know, this past spring, a young man came up to me, and he said, Doug, I got an idea. I want to buy a whole bunch of Bibles. Now, anytime a teenager says to me, I want to buy a whole bunch of Bibles, the answer is absolutely yes, okay? And so he says, I want to buy a whole bunch of Bibles, and I have this idea. I want to give them out to uh, the students in our youth group, and I want to have them read them, and I want to have them highlight some of their favorite verses. I want to have them write some encouragement and some postcards and put them in there, maybe some artwork, and I want to have them love on these Bibles, okay? And I'm, I'm just getting more excited. Yes, that sounds like a great idea. And then I found out the purpose of this, that he wants to then have the teenagers take these Bibles, and as they go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can hand that Bible to somebody who may become a first-time believer. And rather than handing a Bible that is brand new and in cellophane and everything else, instead, they're handing a heart of love in addition to the Word of God to somebody else. Encouragement. You may have have seen in that video of Philly that we took some of those Bibles with us. I think we have a picture of Parker giving a Bible to a young man who who, who came to Christ for the very first time there. And I watched as that young man's face just lit up. Receiving this Bible was more important to him than anything else at that moment, right? We could have been passing out Xbox Ones, right? And this kid was more excited about that Bible. You know, I, I get to discover on social networks or, or maybe a student texting me a picture on my phone that our teens are working in local missions. That they are, they're going to homeless shelters. They're going down to the World Vision Warehouse. We, we have a picture of a, a group of teens that went to this center uh, for foster care families. And they've, they've, all, they've gone to these uh, places to serve in these missions on their own accord. And then suddenly I'll get a text message out of nowhere and it'll say, look what we did today. I'm just so proud of these teens. But some of my my favorite moments, my favorite stories, the example that they give to us is when a teenager goes to their small group leader and they they ask for prayer for a friend. When they go to the rest of the small group and they ask for prayer for a friend because they say, I got this friend that I love and I just really want him to know Jesus. And so that small group starts to pray. And then I rejoice with that student when just a few months later, that friend finally accepts an invitation to show up to youth group. And then I get even more excited as I watch as that friend becomes part of our middle school ministry or part of our high school ministry family. And they become one of us. And then I really get excited when that student who asks for prayer for their friend gets to sit down and pray with their friend to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time. 
Every once in a while, I'll walk through the halls on a Sunday morning and there will be a set of parents that will come up to me and introduce themselves. And they'll, they'll be the parents of one of those kids. And they'll say, we just wanted to come and visit a church that's dramatically changing our son or daughter's lives. I'm so proud of these kids. Even this past week, I met with a student over coffee to talk about some tough stuff going on in his life. And before we even got into it, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to hear about you. He wanted to hear about me. He wanted to hear what was going on in my life. He wanted to know how he could be praying for me. I'm blown away by our teens. I'm so proud of them. But if I would be really honest with you, there's part of me that's a little bit jealous. A little bit jealous of them. Because these teens that I shared about, they're so much further ahead in their walk with Christ as teenagers than I ever was when I was in high school. You know, I was really involved in my youth group, but to be honest, I lived two completely separate lives. So when I graduated high school, I graduated my faith. Now, God dealt with me over a number of years. And I came back to a relationship with him and soon after felt a calling into ministry. And I started to think, what, what is it that could be done differently? If I could travel back in time, what are some of the things that I would tell teenage Doug about some of the decisions he's making or some of the ways that he's living his life? You know, and God kind of laid this impression on my heart that you can't travel back in time and talk to teenage Doug, but you could take the time that you have now and you could invest it into the teens before you today. So the very first thing I did when I went into ministry is I got to study him. And I studied what Jesus did with his disciples. How did he train this group of people to change the world? And did you know that most believe that most of Jesus' 12 disciples were teenagers? Most believe that most of Jesus' 12 disciples were teenagers. Now, unfortunately, there's no way we could travel back in time and take a look at their driver's license and find out exactly how old they are or were. Now, I could take some time right now and share with you an abundance of evidence, right? I could share with you some biblical inductive reasoning that points to the disciples being teens. Like the fact that, that Jesus and Peter were the only ones that had to pay the temple tax that was required for someone who's 20 years or older. Okay, I could talk to you about how James and John, when Jesus called them to follow him, were, were in the fishing boat with their father, Zebedee. And it really points to maybe a teen, group of teenagers doing what good teenagers did back then, which was learning their father's trade before they went off to be adults. Or I could tell you that John, if he was not a teenager when he followed Jesus as a disciple, then he would have been almost 100 years old by the time the book of Revelation was written by him. You know, I could go through all of this kind of big, heavy, biblical, inductive reasoning, but I don't want to do that. Instead, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about Doug's top five reasons some of the disciples were teens. Okay, Doug's top five reasons some of the disciples were teens. Are you ready? Number one, the disciples were obsessively concerned about food. Okay? When was their next meal going to be? Who was going to provide it? When's it going to come? They even ditched Jesus with the woman at the well at one moment because they were off getting something to eat, okay? And then when Jesus was ministering to over 5,000 people, the disciples came up and said, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Everybody's got to eat some dinner. We got to take a break. And then even after Jesus had done multiple, multiple miracles with food, 
We find the disciples in a boat on their way back to base camp to have dinner, and they got in a huge argument because one of them forgot to bring the meal that night. And so they started fighting with each other. Gang, the disciples were obsessively concerned about food. Here's number two. They were constantly showing their immaturity by putting their foot in their mouths. When, it, when, when a, a town refused to welcome Jesus and his disciples, they would yell things like, Lord, let's rain down fire from heaven and destroy this town, you know? They were always putting their foot in their mouths. Number three is one of my favorites. You know, the disciples, they couldn't get themselves out of bed, okay? When the disciples were caught sleeping... Jesus came and tried to wake them up several times, but he couldn't get them out of bed. Any parents of teenagers want to come up here this morning and give a testimony about trying to get your teenagers out of bed this morning, right? Number four, their number one argument, their number one worry in life, okay, was which one of them was the best? Who was going to be the coolest? Who was Jesus going to favor the most? Who was Jesus going to put at the top of the class? Okay? And we can read about that multiple times throughout Scripture. But my absolute favorite one is number five. Okay? Number five, in Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus refused to call one of them the greatest and put one of them at the top of the class, James and John's mom came down to have a parent-teacher conference with Jesus and demand that, they, that he put their sons on either side of him in heaven to be the best, right? The disciples' mom fought their battles for them, right? Now, I'm having a lot of fun here. Thanks. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun here, but despite the fun, I just want to tell you the truth, gang. Most of the disciples were teenagers. They were. There's a lot of evidence that points to that. And Jesus was their youth pastor. So that got me to thinking when I was studying this, why would Jesus choose a group of teenagers? Why would Jesus choose a group of young people to change the world? Now, I know that I'm biased, but I'm going to be honest with you. I can't think of a better group of people to recruit if you're trying to change the world, which is why I'm always trying to recruit you guys to come change the world. I can't think of a better group of people to change the world. Why? Because they're old enough to reason, but they're young enough that their worldview hasn't been cemented yet. They're still teachable. They're still impressionable, right? That teenagers are full of passion and desire and excitement and gang, i got to be honest with you, they are desperate to be part of something big, to be part of a purpose that is greater than themselves. Teenagers are optimistic, and they're wide-eyed as they look towards the future. They give me energy. They give me optimism, right, as they look towards the future. Teenagers, gang, are ideal candidates for spreading transformation. Now, don't get me wrong. Teenagers can still be teenagers, right? Teenagers can still be teenagers, and I could share with you a couple of silly stories, some silly mistakes that teenagers have made that have kind of crossed my desk from time to time. But hear me on this. There is a great equalizer that transformed the disciples and transforms our teenagers still today, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great equalizer because there is a difference between spiritual maturity and physical maturity. I've seen a young man change somebody's eternal destiny 
and then maybe go act like a fool right after, right? There's a difference between spiritual maturity and physical maturity. Because when the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life, he puts them on the same playing field regardless of age. My little girl is six years old. And I remember a time, I didn't realize what she was doing, but she, she must have grabbed a bunch of uh, uh, like coloring pages from the, from the Sunday school rooms downstairs. And we showed up to soccer practice. And she has all these pages, and she's running out, and she's passing them out to her soccer team. And I thought maybe she was just, like, giving them, like, a gift or something, you know. You know, she doesn't have any money to buy anything, but she can give them these coloring pages that she stole from the church. And that she could go, you know, and, and, and they could take them home, and they could, you know, have fun or whatever. But I was blown away. Blown away on the drive home from that practice when my little girl, I cried at the last service, when my little girl said to me that she, her hope, was that her teammates might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because they're going to take these coloring pages home and draw and color pictures of Jesus doing all these amazing things out of Scripture. Gang, the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how old you are. He can use you. So as Robbie said, you know, teenagers, they need the church. But gang, the church, we need teenagers. I wrote down a couple of quick reasons to close with you. Number one, As we've said, teens are an example. They're an example of how the Holy Spirit can transform us to reach those who need to be transformed. Number two, teens help the church stay relevant in a changing culture. You know, I love uh, watching uh, some of the sermon teaser videos. Like I watch Pastor Jamie on Facebook with a sermon teaser video that Michelle Bender puts out on Facebook for us all to get us excited about church on Sunday morning. But I can remember a time, I'm being honest with you, 12 years ago, when a teenager sat me down and said that they had signed me up for this new thing called Facebook. And they taught me how to learn it. And they said, you need to learn how to do this because this is going to revolutionize our ministry. Okay? Now, teenagers are no longer on Facebook if you haven't figured that out yet. At least till they go off to college. But the same thing happened this past summer. I was in Philly, and there was a group of teenagers that sat down in a combination of making fun of me, but also training me on how to use Snapchat, okay? And they said that this Snapchat thing is going to revolutionize our ministry, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I I hate using Snapchat. But I got news for you. If you hate using Snapchat, we're going to be watching Pastor Jamie's sermon teaser on that in just a couple of years, okay? Because that's how it works, Teens help the church stay relevant to a changing culture. Number three, teens lead the way in loving others despite their differences. It's a big one. You know, because we live in a scary, changing world. And there are things about this world, certain harmful and sinful lifestyles that people are choosing today that i got to be honest with you, I really have trouble understanding. But teens somehow understand it. Teens somehow get it. They don't necessarily agree with it, but they understand the struggle behind it, the pain behind the decisions. And when you take a teenager whose sole desire is to love those around them, even if they're different, and you you partner that with the spiritual maturity that only the Holy Spirit can bring, those teens will be best equipped to reach those who are trapped in a sinful lifestyle 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've witnessed it gain firsthand myself in the public school. You know, there once was another generation. A generation of adults who felt the same way we do about their changing world. And it was Billy Graham and a group of teenagers that went after the greasers and the beatniks in the late 40s and the early 50s. And Billy Graham later went on to become the first full-time youth pastor in an organization that we now know as Youth for Christ. Here's the fourth and last one. Without teens, gang, the church will die. Without teens, the church will die. I told you that uh, my kids play soccer. I'm actually their, their coach. I coach soccer, undefeated, just in case you want to know. <laughs> Six-year-old team, but undefeated. And uh, we coach this soccer team, and, uh, and, and they play soccer on these, these wonderful fields of our soccer organization, okay? And on any given Saturday morning and throughout the day, there's hundreds of young people from little kids to teenagers and their families. And just, I mean, it's like a festival every single Saturday, right, with this soccer organization. Now, right in front of these fields is a church, okay? And then right across the street from that church is a, a middle school. It's our, our neighborhood's local middle school. And then a few uh, feet, some, just a little bit of a walk down from that middle school is an elementary school. Well, this past spring, I was shocked to learn that that church closed their doors forever. I couldn't believe that they closed their doors forever. And I just had to know as a pastor, I just had to know. I started talking to some people, and I was trying not to be offensive, but there's some people that are part of the soccer association. I started asking some questions, and I said, you know, did the church, did, did they ever go down to the middle school? And, 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 and try to reach them in some way? Did they ever go down to the elementary school? Did they ever show up on Saturdays right behind the church, pass out some water bottles, tell people we love you, maybe have the pastor go and mingle with some folks and get to know some families? And unfortunately, the answer was no. And so the church ended up shrinking and shrinking and ended up having to close their doors due to finances. You know, this, that church was not a children focused church. That church was not a a teen focused church. I'm so happy that we are. I'm so happy that we have people like Pastor Jamie and Pastor Mike and Bethany who are doing something amazing down in our our children's ministry. I just love what's going on down there because Robbie and I, we we get to reap the benefits of that pretty soon, right? I love that we are a teen focused church. You know, on the way Uh, To pray for this morning's service, I was stopped by a family, and the mom had said to me that their second week visiting here at Christ Church was Youth Sunday. And when they saw all the opportunities they had for not only their teenagers, but we had for little kids as well, they said that they knew that they found their church home. Have you ever seen those those Facebook advertisements, like uh, recommendations? You, you recommend me a plumber or recommend me a, you know, someone to come cut my grass or something like that. You know, we, we see those recommendations in our neighborhood all the time. And they, they list kind of the, th- you know, uh, would you recommend me a church? And they list the, the things that they're looking for in a church, right? But always on there, every single time. But something great for my kids. Something great for my teens. A teen-focused church ends up in a beautiful cycle. Adults helping teens mature in their faith, which almost always require adults to be growing themselves as well. 
It gives a mission to those that are older, and it gives purpose to those that are younger. Investing in teens sparks a beautiful cycle of growth and enthusiasm between all ages. Because, gang, the teens aren't the future of the church. They are co-partners of the church with us. And where you invest, you will see a return. Right? We've learned that principle in life. Many of us, we invest money hoping to be able to see a return, right? We, we plant vegetables in our gardens hoping to see a return. We invest time in the gym hoping to see a return. You could tell I don't invest much time in the gym, okay? Where we invest, we will see a return. And we need people to invest in our teenagers because the return will be huge. And so we urge you, you do have that volunteer card in your worship folders this morning. Would you be willing to invest in our teens? Would you be willing to cook a simple meal once or twice a year? You know how much difference that would make? Maybe God's been tugging your heart a little bit. Would you be willing to lead a small group of teens, eight to ten teens throughout the school year? These teens could get up and tell you how much their small group leaders have changed their lives. Would you be willing, how about this, to simply say hi to our teens as you see them out there? Just going to be honest with you, they're not going to come up and say hi to you. But would you be willing to go and say hi? Would you be willing to have a conversation with them? Would you be willing to encourage them, maybe even after the service? Would you be willing to listen to their stories and hear them? I'm telling you, just a simple hello could help change someone's eternal destiny. Maybe not just the teen that you're talking to, but the person that teenager is going to reach for Jesus Christ out in our community. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this church, God. God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for what you are doing. God, we thank you for all the lives that are changed, Lord. I thank you for all those who have invested in our teens thus far. And God, we are calling for more. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this place. God, that you would uh, inspire us That we would be encouraged by the example of these teens, as Paul said to young Timothy 2,000 years ago. But God, if there's someone here who may be saying, you know what, I want to do a little bit more. I want to invest in our teens, God. I pray that you would inspire them to come and talk to one of us. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing.